0: Hello, and welcome to For Whom the Cell Tolls. I'm your host, Keenan and joined again in the studio by my Pomeranian scout. She's resting against a wicker basket, and will contribute likely nothing again to the episode. So you're stuck with me. In any case, this uh, today's episode is going to kind of go over a theme of kind of death, microbiology, and we're also going to cover life to begin, because life, what is it? You know, biology, study of life, kind of our main theme that we're going to cover the whole time. So briefly, we kind of left on life being, you know, if it can, you know, if it can independently function and survive, it's a living thing. So we decided, you know, single cell bacteria are living things. The question I'm going to pose now is that since we humans are made of trillions of cells, what happens when we separate some of our cells away from us? And we still exist, but the, the cells, the parts of us say they can go on living. Are they, are they us? You know, so take, for example, you have your appendix removed. It gets really inflamed and it's taken out of you. Surgeons play their music. They cut you open. They take it out, put it in a surgery tray. And those cells are still alive, very much so. And they will be for probably like 24, 48 hours, maybe, depending on what they do to them. So you got to kind of consider how much of yourself did you lose right there? Do you lose anything? Did those cells, once they left you, did they become not alive anymore? You know, what did they become? Were they you anymore? That kind of gets into more of what the self is. Um, It's definitely something I would encourage you to think about because there are so many multicellular, uh, you know, beings out there. And considering that life can survive as a single cell, it kind of gets interesting when you take multicellulars away from themselves. So this actually happened. At Johns Hopkins in the nineteen fifties or sixties, to a woman named Henrietta Lacks, who came in to have her uh, tumor taken care of or treated, and back then treatment wasn't, you know, wasn't what it is today. Thing is, the doctors I think did what they could, but at the end of the day, Henrietta passed away. Before she did, though, and mind you, this is a very unethical thing that these doctor scientists did. They took samples of her tumor to study. What they found out is that her tumor cells could keep dividing and dividing and dividing forever in the lab. They didn't need any special nutrients, they didn't need anything. Her cancer had actually activated an enzyme called telomerase that keeps the ends of DNA very good and safe. Usually, when cancer cells or any cell divides too many times, a little bit of the DNA ends on the chromosomes gets chopped off each time, each time. It's actually what happens when we age because eventually our cells and you know some of our, even our stem cells that are still around, they've divided so many times that the ends of the DNA get chopped off. Now our sex cells can't do that because we have to pass those on, so telomerase is active in those. Cancers activate telomerase because cancers divide a whole lot and usually that means a lot of DNA is gonna get chopped off, which is bad for the cancer cell, but if they activate telomerase, that's a survival advantage. So her tumor had that. Telomerase and a few other things, scientists didn't know the whole story, but all they knew is they could keep those cells alive. So after Henrietta passed, her cells were alive, her DNA was still there, her information, everything. So the real question is, was is Henrietta Lacks still alive? Because HeLa cells are everywhere. And that's another important point, is that nobody in modern medicine has contributed to more saved lives, more breakthrough research than Henrietta Lacks did. Anytime you see a Nobel for anything cancer related or just anything human related since that time, you can probably thank HeLa cells. Nobody's been more responsible. And remember, this all came from this unethical decision to pull those cells. So you can definitely chew on that. You know, knowing that a single cell can constitute life are we really you know how do we when do we say a certain life ends if it's still going technically so definitely a weird question um i mean i i, I like posing the question i it's a lot harder to settle on an answer i don't think there uh there is one objectively that's going to be that's going to be good and again that adds to the fire of biology's study of life again though we don't have this these definitions and it's something you should always be thinking about i think so Second thing on life, before we get into our big, our death theme for the day, is there's another good theory on life. And that has to do with why there's none of it in the universe besides us. And you kind of got to think that way until you see at least something, right? There's a theory of something called great filters. Great, The great filter idea is that life gets filtered out by certain events that, you know, pretty much consume... Whatever life tries to get through, like certain barriers that just can't be broken. Some people think that we are we haven't hit a great filter yet, which means we're in for some trouble. Other people think that we accomplished, or at least you know, Earth life on Earth accomplished itself through a great filter. And a lot of people point to remember mitochondria. Remember how they jumped into our cells all that time ago, or well, not our cells, but a, a small mitochondria went inside. A big eukaryotic cell like a big multicellular cell and then it started feeding it energy some people think that the endosymbiotic event which that is so those two cells would then like they formed a partnership some people think that that's a great filter in life because they're just in life in general um you know across the universe and that we pass that and those people think that we're alone because that was such a rare amazing event that it only happened once and we you know by all evidence it only did happen once one predatory cell gobbled up the mitochondria energy cell, but it didn't eat it, and they formed this partnership. So, obviously for another episode, but in any case, it's definitely a scary thing to think that, I think, I mean, I personally think we are definitely alone. Um, there's all kinds of ways to think about it, but my pessimistic way is that life is naturally competitive. Advanced life is cooperative, but you never lose that competitive instinct to survive and eventually I think life manages to develop technologies that are capable of ending itself and then poof somebody thinks that their survival will be improved by massively ending another so if there ever were civilizations out there maybe my pessimistic guess is that they probably blew themselves up we've come pretty close so I wouldn't say that I have no evidence behind it but maybe there's some something out there watching us that is just keeping its distance because we're that stupid Hopefully not, but in any case, let's talk about death. probably the biggest death talked about on the planet is the death of the dinosaurs these you know this fascinates people we you know we see Jurassic Park, however many sequels they can make, they'll keep making them I think they're i my my over under' nine I think nine and a half um You know, I was actually going to play the music here, but I figured I should not be that tacky at this point. So dinosaurs existed for hundreds of millions of years. And it's hard to put that in human perspective and terms because it's so long. They went through complete changes in evolution and species, so many different things. This whole time, mammals have kind of evolved. The big difference is that dinosaurs were cold-blooded. For the most part and we'll get to that in a sec cold blood means that you have to stay out in the sun to get hot that's why when lizards for example when they get sick and they have to make a fever they go out in the sun a lot more that's how they generate a fever and that's how they get hot warm-blooded creatures like us like humans and dogs like scout right here they we just we expend a lot of energy we we have to eat a ton you know for for beings our size we actually do eat quite a bit. So the meat of the story I'm about to tell you was actually borrowed from a seminar from Dr. Arturo Casadeval from Johns Hopkins, actually. He's a microbiologist and he gave this amazing seminar when I went to grad school and this story has always captivated me. So I'm going to share this story and I'll, I'll cite him in the comments. So the big story is that how did we, you know, how did we emerge? And the first question he asked is, ask yourself, everybody in the room, why are we so hot? And everybody kind of paused and he's like, I'm not talking about physical attractiveness. I'm sorry. (laughs) And, you know, the crowd was like, crowd a bunch of like lukewarm scientists. They're always like, oh, okay. (laughs) They don't usually get humor too well. In any case, he then asked, why do we eat so much? Why are we so hot? Why are we here? So he posed those questions first, and I'll pose the same ones to you. Why are mammals the way we are? There's got to be a reason. Because we had to survive, obviously. So he then next posed one more kind of setup question. In the medical field, we have virologists, we have bacteriologists, we have parasitologists. Have you ever heard of a mycologist? Probably not even heard of mycology. Mycology is the study of fungi. Fungi are not like viruses that invade cells, bacteria that are little single cells, or parasites that are usually big, multicellular worm-type animals, things like that. Fungi are eukaryotic, like us. They can form multicellular things, but sometimes they can exist as single cells, too. So he asked all those questions, and he left us with, why are there no mycologist doctors? Do we not deal with those diseases, right? But then he started his story. So ultimately, he set out to show us how the dinosaurs were completely eliminated. Because when you think about it, we know the first thing that happened, the KT event, the large meteor that hit outside of the Yucatan Peninsula. Boom, you know, massive, you know, fissure in the earth type of stuff, doomsday, huge. Probably killed hundreds of thousands, millions of creatures. But this doesn't answer where they all went. So if you keep looking further, the first thing that's gonna happen in the aftermath of the KT event is that the sun is blotted out. And by blotted out, it's not pitch black out all the time, but there's this heavy cloud of dust. So imagine seeing the sun, like kinda of through like a creepy Armageddon dusk, like in the red, right? So what that does is kills tons of plants that need a lot of sunlight. Some of the plants that don't need a ton of sunlight are they're gonna do okay though. They're gonna do fine. Big thing though is that all this plant matter is just dead. All that dead stuff. And guess what eats plants? Fungi. Fungi, you can you know, you can see them in nat- nature forests, anywhere you go in the U.S., anything like that. They eat dead stuff. They eat plants, you know? So they're just feasting. All of a sudden, you have this bloom of fungi eating everything that's dying. But like I said, you know, most of the dinosaurs are still fine at this point. Um, a lot of the plants are still okay, so... Meter didn't kill us off quite yet. The thing that happens with the sun blot, too, is that not only is there a lack of light, with that comes a lack of temperature. Remember that dinosaurs are very cold-blooded. Cold-blooded dinosaur temperatures, their body temperatures started dropping. Usual body temperature you want to maintain is around 37 degrees, and that's what dinosaurs would, you know, they'd go out in sun, they'd maintain that 37 degree Celsius temperature, by the way, it's Celsius. So the problem that happened was, and this is where things get devastating, is that when the globe itself, when the whole planet cooled, maybe two to three degrees Celsius, just with the snap of a Thanos finger, basically, all those animals, their internal temperature, all the cold-blooded ones, it dropped the same as the Earth. So they're down to, let's say, 33 degrees inside. The big problem is, is that the whole time, all the fungi in the world probably were like, they were best at temperatures around 33, 34 degrees. Most animals were always at 37, but not anymore once the sun dropped and the temperature dropped. What happened, and this is all according to Dr. Casadevall's work, you know, really cool stuff. Fungi, once the temperature in those dinosaurs dropped, they just invaded the dinosaur bodies as though they were anywhere else. Imagine just any time you breathed, you'd probably take in thousands of fungal spores because remember these fungi are just feasting on all this dead plant matter right now. So with the combination of a fungal, this bloom with all the plant matter, the cooled internal body temperatures, the fungi could then get inside these animals because they were too cold basically. And it killed off everything. All the terrestrial cold-blooded animals. So, that's where it gets terrifying for me. Honestly, is the is the absoluteness of it, and it was always kind of when you're you're always bringing up like, oh, you know, some of them are survived as birds. They're warm-blooded versions of dinosaurs, though, they would evolved that for whatever reason back then, and then they had the advantage when the fungi came. So, that's the that's the worst part is that it all just happened. Pretty quickly, and it was there was no way around it. So the things that survived were warm-blooded. So finally, out of all of this, when everything's dead around them, the tiny mammals that, for their entire existence, have hidden underground from the dinosaurs. There was never an opportunity for mammals to come out of their burrows. That's assen- that's essentially settled. The settled idea is that for millions of years even that mammals had evolved, they could never get away because the dinosaurs were always there. And the thing is, is that mammals maintain a 37 degree temperature inside all the time. So they were never in danger of the fungi coming inside. It didn't matter how cold it was outside. It did for the dinosaurs though. So that's why we ended up surviving. It was this kind of sinister partnership between between the luck of the KT event, fungi erupting, And we had that partnership mammals and fungi where the fungi couldn't hurt us and so well by us i mean our little you know rodent like ancestors or whatever um and so that was it and that was how mammals emerged and that's why there was that boom of mammal species is because there were so many new niches to fill niche niche i don't know there were so many new environments to fill with with all the dinosaurs gone there was just so many resources out there for him. So there was just this explosion of mammals. And that's how we came to be. And that's why we are like we are. So he ended this story with not as much a warning, just a kind of kind of scary. Basically, what's happening now with how things are getting a lot hotter on the planet, right? We still are 37 degrees. We haven't changed that. That's our internal body temperature. The equator, as the globe warms... equator is going to be the warmest. There's plenty of fungi in all the jungles, all the tropics, everything on the equator, right? So as the equator warms, it's getting closer to 37 degrees and fungi evolve pretty quickly because there's, you know, trillions of them and they can change very quickly, or at least have offspring that can. The thing is, is that there are soon going to be a lot more species of fungi that exist at 37 degrees, just like our temperature, which means that if you breathe one in, it's going to get inside you and basically treat you like anything else and seed and make spores and make you sick. So, not a good deal. (laughs) Probably didn't want to make things too hot. Uh, Oops, whether that's us or not, that's pretty settled, but that's uh, that's not my expertise. I'd advise reading some review papers on that if you want to. In any case, things are getting hotter. Fungi are being able to be hot. That means we're going to be, we could possibly be back on the menu, which is pretty unfortunate and that's this all ties back to why we need mycologists more than ever because these tropical diseases are not going to be parasites and viruses anymore it's going to be fungi so definitely crazy stuff good thing is we can raise our body temperature with a fever roughly two degrees so we're looking at 39 so don't think anybody's going to die or anything so still pretty scary so be careful see your see your local mycologist and get uh get checked out after you go to the jungle i guess So I think that's going to conclude it. That's the, I think this is, I always love this story about, you know, where we are with the dinosaurs and how they, how they didn't make it. Um, You know, it was just, just this, it shows how, you know, random events can be seized upon by certain species and then, you know, essentially dominate for the next 65 million years, which was how long ago the KT event was. And that's how long mammals have dominated since essentially. So, it's just a crazy world out there. In any case, I'm going to sign off now. Thanks again for listening, and tune in next week. I think we're probably going to talk about Tumor Evolution. So, thanks again for listening, and Scout, you want to say goodbye? No, sorry. No goodbye from Scout. Have a good night, best of luck out there, and we'll see you next time. Bye.